I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Hi, welcome back to Vet Sessions. I'm your host, Dr. Shannon Gowland, and I'm so happy to welcome our guest for this evening, Dr. Lee Neal, to talk about separation anxiety with us. Hi, Lee. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good, thanks. Good, good. So I was thinking maybe before we leap into our topic, you could kind of share a little bit about yourself so our listeners know who you are and what you do here at University of Guelph. Yeah, so my background and training are in applied animal behavior and welfare. Mm -hmm. And so I originally started out looking at lab animals, but I've transitioned to companion animals. So mostly cats and dogs. Um, And so I'm very research focused. And so I have a faculty position at the Ontario Vet College where my focus is on companion animal welfare for the most part. Amazing. And you help me with my behavior cases for which I'm always so grateful. I try. Absolutely. So thank you. So I thought we'd kind of dive into our topic, which is separation anxiety, big topic. Um, And I was hoping we could talk about this tonight, sort of because I think that our new grads are going to see a lot of it. Certainly um, in our practice at OVC Smith Lane, I'm seeing lots of anxiety in general and a lot of separation anxiety, what with COVID and people slowly making their way back to work. So I was wondering how you would define separation anxiety. What What do you think of when you hear it? I think separation anxiety is really about that emotional responses that, that animals are having to that separation from their owner or owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be in different contexts, right? So it could yeah. either be that they're upset that they're being left alone, or it could be specific about a particular person or persons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a small distinction there as well. Fair enough. So I guess there can be a component of hyper-attachment, right? Is that what you mean? Like to a specific person? Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. So it could be that, you know, it's to family members, but it could also be like one specific person um, Mm. where, you know, if that person isn't around, that their anxiety increases. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I've seen some patients too, where they just need a human in the house, whereas the other ones are like, it has to be mom. Yeah, exactly. And so in some cases, it's more about being isolated. Yeah. Um, So yeah, and those ones, it's if there was another person around, then it would be fine. But it's about, you know, They don't want to be alone, basically. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then diagnosing it can be tricky, right? Like uh, to some people, it seems really basic. Like I get home and my couch is eaten, therefore my dog has separation anxiety. But I I think there's more to it than that, right? Absolutely. And the problem is that there can be a lot of different reasons why an animal might show those types of responses when they're left alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So it could be that they're upset from being left alone, but it could also be that they're bored. Or it could be that there's other dogs walking past the house and they're noticing them and that's causing them to bark. Um, So there's so many different reasons why they could show that behavior. For sure, for sure. And I guess that's why, I mean, in recent years, at least we've been able to focus on video, right? As a means of making the diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really important component. So it's not just about the owner coming in and reporting it. It's about getting them to record some video of what's happening. And so then you're looking specifically at the video to figure out, you know, is the dog showing signs of anxiety? Are they showing indication that um, there's sort of reunion type of um, effects where they're trying to focus on the exit? Uh, You know, there's some clues there that can tell you about whether it's actually separation anxiety or if they seem really relaxed and then they go and destroy something because they're bored. 
For sure. For sure. Yeah. There's a big difference between pawing at the door and looking upside on the doormat versus happily chomping the couch cushions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Cause at first I, I kind of like when I, years ago, when I started doing a little bit of behavior, it was based on owner reporting for sure. Yeah. And, uh, but I can see where there's a huge difference for that. Um, and I've started to incorporate more video for sure into, into my practice. Yeah. And and now, it can, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, now it's easier for people yeah. to do, right? So, Oh, for sure. With phones, it, everything's much easier. And then if you have those baseline videos, it can give you some indication of whether there's improvement happening too, because you're able to track it. So I think that there's a bunch of different uses for that video beyond just the diagnosis. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because sometimes owners don't think things are improving that much. But then if they could actually look back at the video and see, um, and also it maybe makes it mm, a little bit less subjective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's one thing that we sort of try to reinforce with the vet students is that we should be taking some objective measures of what's actually happening so that we can track that improvement and we don't just have to rely on subjective report. Yeah, for sure. And besides, it's impossible to know what's actually happening in the apartment when they're not there. So yeah, yeah, no, that sounds really good. So, so um, I guess ideally before making the diagnosis, we really should have people um, video Yes. To confirm it. Yeah, absolutely. Try and get them to bring in sort of a 15-minute video that can give Mm -hmm. you some indication of what's happening so that you can see whether it's just, you know, a blip where the dog initially reacts and then goes and lies down or whether it's a more prolonged experience that they're having. Okay, so we've got our clients to make the video, ideally about 15 minutes so that we can see. Um, What what are we specifically looking for? Like, what would you look for in a video? Yeah, so types of things that you want to look for are destructive type behaviors. So Mm -hmm. quite often you know, focused around exits or trying look, looking for some sort of reunion with the owner, vocalizations, um, so the dog barking or whining, again, sort of care soliciting type vocalizations. Um, sometimes we'll see house soiling. Mm. So in cases where dogs are really hyper aroused, we might see, you know, urination around the house. Um, salivation, so finding little puddles of saliva yeah. would be another one that we're looking for. Those would be sort of some of the key behaviors that you'd be watching for, as well as looking at the body posture. So looking at how stressed they look and whether they're showing sort of those fear and anxiety related behaviors. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned 15 minutes. Um, Do you generally find that they're showing these signs at the very start or what do you think, or does it vary just with the patient? Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of dogs who have separation anxiety will start to show responses quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And then the goal is that, you know, you want to see sort of how extreme that response is, but you don't want to push them so far that you're impairing their welfare doing the assessment. So 15 minutes is sort of a good guideline to go with. Okay. Okay. And then we can have the owner potentially even streaming the video and watching, right? So yeah, that, for sure. Um, yeah. If there's any evidence of self-harm or extreme distress, then they could potentially go back in and, uh, and interrupt that. Absolutely. So yeah. And if you know that the dog has a much more severe form of it, then probably you would want to keep it sort of at the lower end instead of going for the full 15 minutes. Sure, sure. So if there's a re- if there's a risk of severe destruction or self-harm, then maybe just a few minutes to see what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. And then, okay, so let's say that the client has brought in a, a video and we're watching the video and there's pretty clear evidence of a separation anxiety issue. Um, then we need to think about treatment options, which is a huge question, obviously. Um, so let's say that we have a dog who's fairly severe, um, where we're concerned that either um, maybe the, maybe there's a, um, a question of their housing becoming precarious because the dog is barking, um, that type of idea where we have to solve the problem quickly, or maybe a situation where the dog is at risk of self-harm. So maybe if we start with a fairly severe case, 
Um, What would the considerations be? I mean, I think part of it is trying to reduce that experience of the isolation. So that's sort of where Mm -hmm. you need to tackle it first. And so there are a couple of ways you can do that. First of all is to try to avoid leaving them in isolation, which would mean, you know, looking for alternatives, maybe doggy daycare, something like that. For sure. But an easier solution for many people is using drugs. So using situational medications. Absolutely. So the situational ones being the fast acting drugs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically trying to blunt their experience of the isolation so that it isn't as all consuming. So as they experience it, um, basically each time they experience it, then it can cause it to become more severe. Because they're practicing that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of um, making that more concrete. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we're talking about thinking about situational drugs. Um, I've certainly used more clonazepam lately than anything else. I don't know if you have other drugs that you like for the situation or. So the benzodiazepines like clonazepam are one option. You can also look at potentially clonidine or trazodone. So anything that's going to be fast acting and that's really going to be effective for blunting that experience. Okay, that sounds good. I was initially using a little bit more trazodone, but I found that the dogs were quite sedate. On If I had enough trazodone to be effective, I found they were quite sedated. Yeah. I don't know if that's been your experience too. or. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I guess the issue is that we're trying to make sure that they have a better experience all around. So yeah. I'm not sure that it matters all that much if they're slightly sedated from it during the treatment period. Because the idea with the situational meds is to use them sort of temporarily to get sure. them through and then once they come out the other end hopefully weaning them off so there might be some sedation in those early stages but I'm not so sure that it's a problem but you know there are other options that are less sedating like yeah, clonazepam fair. or clonidine so those would be other solutions fair enough fair enough interestingly I did say that to an owner today as well she was concerned that her dog was a little bit wobbly or ataxic uh, with the clonazepam but um, the dog was quite happy so I sort of pointed out that maybe temporarily that wasn't too much of a problem as yeah. long as the dog was was content well and as long as it's not you know causing them to harm themselves no. in some way where they're going to trip or fall or where they can't get out to use the sort of uh, to let you know that they need to go out something Absolutely. like that yeah. yeah for sure for sure okay okay so those are some of the kind of situational short-term drugs and then um, sometimes we also want to add in a longer term medication if we need to um, I know that a lot of these dogs kind of have comorbidities as well often like with uh, more global anxiety or other anxiety issues. Um, Yeah, so what do you think in terms of adding on a longer-term medication? Yeah, so that's another thing that's recommended. So Mm -hmm. something like fluoxetine or clomipramine, where you're going for a longer-term treatment with those ones and trying to reduce their overall anxiety levels so that maybe they're more responsive to some of the behavior modification techniques that you might want to use. Absolutely. And then some of the longer term medications too, I find the dogs are a bit less sedate maybe on those. So more able to think their way through the situation, but hopefully less anxious at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, And those long term meds, they shouldn't be sedating. Mm -hmm. Like If they're happening at the right dose, then they really shouldn't be. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like fluoxetine the best, I think, because I find that the dogs retain their own personality. They're not, you know, um, too sedate on it, but it seems to blunt that anxiety really nicely. Yeah. and with research the, has shown that both fluoxetine and clomipramine can be effective with separation anxiety. So yeah, I think both are a decent choice. 
For sure. Thank you. Yeah. Cost-wise, the fluoxetine is more cost-effective um, by a long way. Um, and then the only other thing is I've seen a little bit more GI side effects with the clomipramine initially. Now, that might just be me, not sure. Um, but just in terms of GI signs, inappetence, vomiting, diarrhea, um, I find sometimes the first few days that seems to happen a little bit more with the clomipramine. But Yeah, and that would definitely be a, something that might turn the owner off of that yeah. experience too, right? So if there's options that are going to have the owner being more willing to continue, then that would be much better. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. And then I find talking to the clients about the drugs really interesting as well, because there, I find that there are kind of two camps of owners, one where they're just desperate to stop this situation and actually be able to leave their homes. I have some clients currently who are basically trapped in their apartment with their dogs and they have to have a dog sitter come in if they want to leave. Um, so those people are more than willing to consider using medications because they're, they're desperate um, to help their dogs feel better when they leave and also need to leave. Um, whereas there are other owners who are really reluctant, I find, to turn to the pharmaceutical um, type of avenue because they're worried, I think, that we're just going to sedate their dogs. So Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's trying to convince them that really that's the best option for trying to get their dog through. And there has been some indication, especially with the situational meds, that they can really reduce the amount of effort that you have to put into behavior mod. So not that we're looking yeah. for something as like a scapegoat, or like a way to escape having to do the hard work. But at the same time, many owners are super busy. Yeah. Um, they And, and uh, as much as they feel that they're committed and that they'll follow through, they just don't have the time to do so. Um, so I think trying to convince them that some of these medications might help them to be able to ease that process might be something that we can use to get them on board. Absolutely, absolutely. And some of these pets are just so terrified in the moment as well that they're not really, they're so far outside their comfort zone they can't really think. So, you know, maybe um, hopefully that will help them with that. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, and then, yeah, I find too, talking to people about what the goal is of the medication, like the situational ones, I think controlling their expectations and talking about how there might be some sedation initially, but that if the dog can practice being left alone a few times or for, for a period of time um, and without that wind up, then that's really beneficial. Whereas the longer term ones, I like to tell people that I'm not looking to make a zombie dog. I'm looking to make, to keep their dog exactly as they are, except, you know, blunt that anxiety a little bit. So people seem to be a bit more receptive to that idea. Yeah. That sounds like a great way of presenting it too. Yeah. 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 It's a hard situation for people for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that people really underestimate the emotional toll that these types of behavioral issues have on the family. So, yeah. you know, there's welfare concerns for the dog, but can be so massively destructive to sort of your regular life and being able to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And these are people and dogs who are really closely bonded together. But I'm sure that not being able to leave your dog alone would actually have some damaging effects on that bond potentially. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be yeah. frustrating. So medically, then we're going to consider a longer term medication, but then use a shorter term situational drug, at least initially, to kind of um, ease the dog into it. And of course, the long term meds like fluoxetine usually take that four to six weeks to take effect. Mm -hmm. So that situational drug can kind of kick in right away um, while our longer term drug gets on board. Yeah. And, then, and then I guess we hope to kind of wean them off that situational one first, ideally, or, or only use it for uh, more high stress departures or situations. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like we're talking about the severe dog right now. Yes. And so if we were talking about a dog that maybe wasn't as severe, then maybe the situational meds are enough and we don't need to go to some of those longer term ones. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So that they can get some practice with the shorter departures um, and we can do some of the behavior modification 
with the dog's um, anxiety blunted by that situational med. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And so, I mean, that's the whole point is that if we blunt that experience and they don't get that wind up that we were talking about before, then hopefully they get better adapted to being able to be home alone, mm-hmm. especially for then using different types of management and behavior mod where we make the experience positive for them. Yeah, absolutely. I heard someone say the other day that these medications lessen the intensity of the behavior. So maybe if we can lessen the intensity of that anxiety, then they can actually learn from it. So, yeah. so speaking of behavior mod, uh, what do you what do you like to recommend in terms of behavior modification for maybe maybe the less severe dog that we're going to start with some things? I mean, I think that there's a lot of different things that you can do, but one place to start is to work around making the departure and routine. Um, sorry, the departure and returning routine a little bit smoother for them. So Mm -hmm. thinking about the departure, you want it to be like a really positive event for them. You want them to almost be looking forward to it. So if you can do all the fun stuff up front, um, so trying to make sure that they're tired, first of all, so going for a walk, getting them tired out, and then giving them good stuff, like maybe a really yummy treat that they only get when you leave, then that gets them sort of focused on it being a good thing. They're also predicting it, so they're not sort of worrying about when you might leave. They sort of know that it's coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to the owner trying to sneak out while the dog is not looking. Yeah. Yeah, which then raises their anxiety because they're constantly monitoring and trying to make sure that nobody's leaving. Yeah. Um, so if they have predictable routine, then they know what's happening and then they can anticipate it. And it helps to reduce their stress level. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's some great toys out there too, like in terms of food, right? Um, in terms of yes. trying to keep them busy. Yes, yeah, so many distractions that we can use right now, like different ways that you can sort of stuff food into things where it takes them a while to get it out or different types of food puzzles where they have to manipulate. So it gets them thinking and focused and takes quite a long time for them to get through it, which means that by the time they sort of finish that, they've kind of lost sight of the fact that you've left and it's not really a concern anymore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So have the owner do, like you were saying, have the fun part at the start of the morning, the exercise, the food, the fun, and then a little bit of time before they depart, maybe, you know, cool that off a little bit and then provide that fabulous food treat and then slip out the door. Not yeah. sneak out the door, but just quietly go. Yeah, and if you're using the same process each time, then it actually can be beneficial for them in terms of understanding and predicting that it's coming. So that predictability mm-hmm. can be really helpful in terms of reducing stress. That makes a lot of sense. And then would you have them kind of practice a little bit, like at first do that routine and step out for a few moments and come back in again? Or would you, like, what, what do you think about that? Um, I, you can. And so, I mean, there are two different strategies. So mm-hmm. one of them is to do get the routines down. Um, and then the other would be the behavior modification. And mm-hmm. so then you'd be doing sort of gradual exposure to that leaving process. So, you know, if we have a new case that we're treating, if you combine the medications, like your situational meds, and then you're combining that with the leaving routines, that in itself um, should be quite effective for just sort of regular every day. But in terms of having long-term change, then you want to add in the gradual exposure to the leaving process and get them more used to that without the medications on board. Um, So just putting a little bit of more detail behind that. So benzodiazepines, for example, can impair the learning process, right? So if we're trying to do training when they're on the medications, then it's going to be less likely to be effective. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe while they're on the medication, you start with practicing the departures, and, you know, get that routine down. And then as you wean them off the medication, then hopefully they'll be yeah. predicting what's going to happen. And at that point, you can leave for longer and longer periods of yeah. time. And then mm-hmm. you can also be in the background layering and training sessions. So maybe yeah. on Saturdays when you're not going out, then you could do your training sessions where you do the gradual exposure. Um, 
where you're just sort of, you know, at the first level, you might just be inching towards the door and pairing it with treats um, and then slowly going out the door and only staying out for like 20 seconds or something like that. Yeah. So, and then by doing that training at a separate time, you're actually having them learn that process. So it's kind of those two things together, but you don't really want to do them all mixed together because there's too much going on all at the same time. Yeah, fair. Sounds, yeah, that sounds, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And then, um, in terms of other training that you might combine, like I know that a lot of these dogs have kind of some hyper attachment issues or they're, um, maybe they would benefit from some independence training of some sort. What what do you think about that? Yeah, I think absolutely. So especially in situations where you do have a dog where it's clear where there's hyper attachment. So for example, a dog that's following family members who always wants to be with them, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because we can have different reasons why they're showing that separation anxiety. It could be that they had a traumatic experience when everyone was out and now they're worried about being alone. Mm-hmm. But it could also be that they just really need to be with people all of the time. Yeah. And that's where that anxiety, the anxiety, sort of more generalized anxiety comes into it, right? Because if they're not used to being able to cope on their own, then when their owner leaves, their anxiety is too high and they can't cope. Um, so, yeah, so I think... It's thinking about those different types of situations when you're trying to figure out what's going on for an individual dog. And then what about involving a trainer? How do you think about that? Like, I think for some families it might be useful, but what are your thoughts on that? And I think it depends on how much training you're going to have them to be doing. Yeah. And also it depends on um, how much time you have to devote to those behavior cases. So, Mm. you know, in a situation where you really can set aside the time and show them how to do behavior modification that's fine. Um, but many veterinarians don't have that time on their schedule. So that's where it's really good to pair up with the trainer to do that side of it. So you're providing like the structure and the overall plan and the medications. And then the trainer is providing that day-to-day support that's helping them to understand how to actually implement it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have a few cases like that myself now, and it's been, it's been great because as the veterinarian, I can make the diagnosis and look for underlying medical causes of problems like separation anxiety, making sure there's no evident source of pain, making sure that their blood work looks okay, and then potentially providing a medication. Um, And then the trainer can kind of be that person who answers the training questions that sometimes can be hard for me (laughs) to manage with my schedule. And also the trainer knows more about training than I do. If you choose a good trainer so yeah um, there are definitely a few around town who I can call on and who will refer their cases to me if they have a dog they're training who needs medication and who I can in turn refer back to them so yeah. I think it's really important to have that relationship with trainers to make sure that that works and Absolutely. if you think of like a veterinary behaviorist they normally have specific people on staff that are doing that training with the client so it's yeah. a necessary component that you just can't manage on a daily basis absolutely absolutely mm. So, yeah, so I was sort of thinking that um, in order for, like, students and new grads listening, if we could kind of sum up how to approach these cases. So an owner comes into the clinic and says, okay, you know, I think my dog has separation anxiety. We could kind of walk through again, just step by step, what the different thoughts are uh, in terms of managing that case. Yeah, so first step would be trying to make sure that it is actually separation anxiety. So looking at the different things that are happening with the dog and trying to determine whether it's an anxiety-based concern or whether it's potentially a medical problem or a boredom problem. So that's where the video comes in, so Mm -hmm. being able to look at that and confirm. Um, So first would be confirming it really is separation anxiety. Um, Second step would be sort of thinking about the treatment plan, and so then you're going to be focusing on using situational medications in order to blunt the experience. 
adding in some really good departure routines. And, um, and also, we didn't really talk about it, but the idea of having sort of calm reunions afterwards. Yes. And then finally, it would be um, working on behavior modification in the background to try to train them that the process of you leaving is really not a problem and that it can actually be positive and lots of cookies and treats and good things happening. Right. I like what you said about they can actually look forward to you leaving. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah. If they know they're going to get the best treat to the day right before departure, then yeah, why wouldn't they look forward to that? So that sounds good. And I also like what you said about kind of separating out the behavior modification from maybe the day-to-day needing to go to work and using those situational medications at that point. So that clarified it for me. So thank you very much. Yeah. And then the only other part that we kind of touched on is the medical part of it. Of course, before making a behavioral diagnosis, we always want to do a physical exam on the pet, make sure there's no um, evidence of a medical problem that might be contributing to it. Um, You know, for instance, if there is urination in the house, we obviously want to make sure there's not a medical cause behind that. Um, Sometimes we want to check things like thyroid levels that can contribute to anxiety disorders potentially. And um, also um, just making sure there's no evidence of pain. So definitely um, a part of the behavioral workup as well. Yeah. And remembering how important, for example, pain is that, Mm. you know, that when an animal is feeling unwell and is experiencing discomfort, then things that would normally maybe not bother them as much can be much more extreme. Um, So it might not be what's causing the separation anxiety. It can really exacerbate it. So definitely important to make sure. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. So sometimes we may want to layer in a pain medication or even start with that and see see where that gets us. And then, of course, blood work is important for monitoring and before prescribing any medications that might have any effects on the organ function. So, um, yeah, and we like to double check on the blood work um, periodically if they're on long-term medication, of course. And then the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on is maybe prevention. So lots of our listeners may be going back to school classes full time after spending, you know, so long doing Zoom lectures. And also um, some of us may be heading back to work and having pets at home. So I think touching on prevention and also what we might tell our clients in terms of preventing separation anxiety um, might then stop some of these cases from coming through our door in the first place. So, yeah. So two key things with prevention would be independence building. So trying to make sure that they have fun things that they can do separate from you Mm -hmm. um, so that they learn that being on their own is actually okay and that they can have a good time with it. So, you know, having them have a treat in a different part of the house from where the rest of the family is. Um, And then the other side of it would be working on those departure routines and making sure that they're positive for them. So, you know, you, again, you want that predictability. You want to make sure that it's positive and that they get some sort of Kong or other thing that's going to distract them for a bit of time and be a positive experience for them. Yeah, absolutely. So making sure that even if we don't have to leave our house, we actually do anyway. Yes. Um, Yeah, like practicing leaving our puppy alone, I mean, a safe place, you know, all that sort of thing and going through those routines so that when we actually do leave, they know what to expect. Yeah. And I mean, we got into the bad habit ourselves early in the pandemic of, you know, every time we would go to do errands, we would throw the dog in the back of the car um, and bring her with us. But you know, that's not really in her best interest. So you want to make sure that they're, even though we can bring them with us, it's good to sometimes leave them alone so that they can learn that independence and learn that they really are going to be okay if they're left alone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you touched on the fact that there are so many great toys and things available, like the snuffle mats. Oh my gosh, I need one of those for my dog, partly because it's so cute. Um, Just a big mat with little pockets in it that you can kind of stuff the treats in. Of course, we have to worry about the dog eating the mat, but um, assuming the dog's not too destructive, those can be really useful. Well, and there's licky mats and things like that too, right? So, and like, so those are a little bit less destructible than the snuffle mats and might be 
safer in some situations and you can stick them down to the floor for example and smear peanut butter in them so yes so many options available these days in terms of enrichment and I guess one thing to drive home too, knowing that many vet students don't have a ton of extra money is that there's a lot of creative ways that you can make enrichments yourself like you don't necessarily have to buy the expensive ready-made ones from the store so any way that you can make the treats difficult to get that's really what you need Absolutely. Yeah. I talked to an owner of a small dog today who, again, there's some cost concerns. So I talked about putting some treats under a towel so that the small dog has to nose underneath the towel and get the treat. Yeah. As long as they don't eat the towel. You can tell I'm paranoid about GI foreign bodies, right? Totally. But that's okay. Um, yeah. Or even like hiding treats around the, the room so they have to yes. run around like all four edges of the couch or something like that can be useful as well. Yeah. Um, again, avoiding destruction. But um, yeah, I think that's a really good point that people can be creative or making like cheese whiz popsicles or something like that. Uh, just something that's going to last a little bit longer. Yeah. One um, of our previous dogs loved playing hide and seek. So we would take oh yeah? Cheerios and hide them all over the living room. And that was one of his favorite games. So that was one that we would do when we were leaving. We'd throw a handful of Cheerios right when we were heading out the door. And they would scatter across the floor. And that would be sort of the thing that would distract him while we were leaving. That sounds awesome. And, you know, I, I've wondered to myself, maybe you can tell me whether this is crazy, but I think that changing the owner's perception of how they feel when they're leaving is probably a really big deal. So if the owner can kind of look forward to giving the dog a treat or like, I love the idea of maybe an owner who's anxious about leaving their dog, hiding some Cheerios around the room as a fun activity, and then they pop out the door, um, you know, because if their attitude is changed and they're not so anxious about leaving, then maybe the dog will pick up less cues. Of course, that's not evidence-based. That's just something I wonder, but... I mean, there is some indication, though, that certain types of owners who are maybe uh, don't have the best attachment behavior towards their pets, that their animals are more likely to have separation anxiety. Mm. So, I mean, I think that there is a little bit of evidence, actually, for that one. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's important that the owners feel calm about the experience as well. Yeah, Um, yeah. Okay, that makes sense then. Hmm, I like the cheerio idea. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, it works very well. Okay, so speaking of Cheerios um, and the owner departing, um, I want to circle back to something that you said earlier about making sure that you have a calm arrival. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's really critical that we don't teach them inadvertently that it really was a problem that we left, right? And so part of that is making sure that when we come home, we're really calm. So we don't want to trigger them. So for the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes after coming home, ideally you really want to keep it low key and not ignore the dog like definitely Mm -hmm. acknowledge them but you don't want to have those big reunions where you know sort of you reinforce that idea that it really was a problem that you were gone Um, so as calm as possible that makes sense that makes sense on occasion where owners have said they're going to have a really hard time to do that I've actually given them a job to do and said okay when you get home you can say hello quietly to your dog and then you must go make yourself a cup of tea yes thinking that at least and then okay once you've made your tea then you can say more hellos because I figure it gives the owners something to do and also the dog normally needs to go out by that point right if you've been out for a bit so just calmly walk them to the back door let them out for a little bit and then calm yourself down and then once they come back in um, then you can sort of start to settle back into normal routine. Yeah, very true. So there's kind of a routine around the owner departing and also a routine around the owner coming back. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. sounds really good. Okay, well, speaking of departures and calmly departing, I think sadly it's time to wrap up. So thank you so much, Lee, for coming and talking to me about separation anxiety. It's been really great and I've learned some things myself and uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. No problem. It's been really fun.
Thanks very much. Thanks everyone for listening. So please follow us on Instagram at Vet Sessions. If you have questions or ideas about a future podcast, please, please email us. Um, our email address is vetsessions at hotmail.com. Thanks very much. Take care.